When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by your host, me, Matt B, the Wolf. And I will be joined, as usual, by my partner in crime and co-host, Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States. Uh, and we want to thank everybody for tuning in to last week's show on Van Halen's Diver Down. It's an album that's very much maligned in the Van Halen catalog because of its brevity, because of all of its covers, uh, and because of some of the little short songs on there that aren't even really songs. But it's still got some classics on there, like Pretty Woman, like cathedral, like dancing in the streets. So we really appreciate all the feedback uh, and all the help that we got from our buddy Daryl for helping promote that because he is a great big Van Halen fan. And I want to wish everybody happy holidays. We are currently in the middle of Hanukkah. We are rapidly approaching Christmas. And no matter where you are in the world or what you might celebrate, we want to wish you a safe and happy holiday. And if you're a rock and roller, looking for something, you got to go check out our sponsors, rarevinyl.com. Rarevinyl.com have been in business for almost four years. They have a quarter of a million rare and pristine objects for the rock fan of your life in their catalog, and they ship all over the world. They have amazing record buyers to find the best quality stuff out there, procure it, and then get it to you in pristine condition. I've been to their warehouse. I've met their team. They're an amazing group. And look, if you use code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, that'll save you 10% off your order. So it may be a little late in the game for people outside of the UK, but in the UK, if you're hearing this and you need something for Christmas, for Hanukkah, for someone's birthday before the end of the year, whatever it might be, go to rarevital.com, use code podcast, save 10% and find that special LP seven inch single Cool program, whatever it is they might be looking for, get it for that special someone from rarevital.com using code podcast. Now this week, we are proud to welcome a talented and experienced musician, someone who's played on more than 50 gold and platinum records, a guitar player, a sometime bass player, and a very talented songwriter named Jim Cregan. And you would probably best know Jim Cregan, uh, maybe from Cockney Rebel from UK fans. But for U.S. fans, it's going to be his time with Rod Stewart, which kind of started on the Footloose and Fancy Free record and really went through all the way through the Unplugged and Seated album that came out in the early 90s. He co-wrote a lot of huge songs 
with Rod over the years, like Forever Young. And he's been a great producer, songwriter, been all over the world, and he's just a heck of a good guy. So we wanted to dive in to some of his brilliant career and Tales from the Road with Rod the Mod and the other greats that he's played with over the years, including one of our very favorites, John Wetton, including Ronnie Wood. And you'll hear some great stories with him really shortly. But at the moment, he actually has a Christmas single available called A Child is Born. It's actually an old Johnny Mathis song that he reworked and added some lyrics to as a benefit to Angel Force USA, which is an organization that he's a part of that helps create awareness for suicide prevention for veterans. And as someone who has many members of his family who have served in the military and know that a lot of veterans struggle with things like PTSD, and a lot of them have a hard time asking for help when they're having a hard time, because think about it. Warriors are told to keep all that negative stuff down, to be tough, to fight through everything. Well, it's not that easy. So this organization, Angel Force USA, is designed to help bring awareness and to try to reach out to folks of our military community who might be having problems. And this single, A Child is Born, all proceeds go to the benefit of Angel Force USA. So we asked Jim to come on this show to talk a little bit about the single and the organization and the benefits. And then we dive into some rock and roll history, some of his tales of the road, tales of the studio with Ron, with some of these folks that, that you all will know. And he's a great guy, has wonderful stories, and very generous of time and spirit. And I think you're really going to enjoy it here. But first, just a little bit of business. We need you to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I don't care where it is. Apple, iTunes, we like good pods. It's a great place to interact with other podcasters. But wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe. Please download. Downloads make a big difference to us. It helps us sell our show. And if you have the opportunity, please give us a positive review. Those positive reviews just help us find other rock and roll fans like you and help grow our show. And we have grown our show quite a bit in 2022. Thanks to all you listeners. Thanks to Pantheon Podcast, which is a network we are a part of with maybe a hundred other shows. And we've got a lot of great friends who we've either been on their show or we've had them on our show, like Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pot. Paul put us in touch with Jim's publicist and got him on the show for us. So we thank you, Paul, for everything you've done for us over the years. Uh, and you can hear us on his show, This Day Rocks, on occasion. We also love Christy Alexander-Holberg of Rockets Lit. We love Jay at The Hook Rocks. We love Martin Popoff, History and Five Songs. And we especially love Tom and Zeus of the world's number one rated KISS podcast, Shout It Out Loudcast. The guys are hilarious. They're super knowledgeable on KISS. And they have three other sidecasts that'll keep you cracking up and inform you just as much, like Zeppelin Chronicles, Album Review Crew with Sonny Pooney, and Dorm Damage. So make sure you check all that out. Proud to be a part of that. And of course, Christian Swain, the founder of Pantheon Pods, he also runs Rock and Roll Archaeology. Check that out as well. So just before Christmas here, in the midst of Hanukkah, we are talking with a true rock and roll troubadour with incredible stories, the gift of gab. It's Jim Cregan, guitar player and songwriter for Rod Stewart, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. 
Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Let's talk a little bit about Rod Stewart in our lives growing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What what was your take? I mean, how did you first realize who Rod Stewart is? And what was your take on him when you came of age, like starting to like rock and roll and like, okay, now I know who this Rod Stewart guy is. Talk about that a little bit. Well, that's, that's kind of the problem. I think probably the first time I ever, the, the first time I ever really ran into Rod Stewart was probably baby Jane on MTV. Okay, And that was, it was not like anything that he'd done in the seventies, nothing like the faces, nothing like mm-hmm. it was, it was more pop synth. And it, it was either, it was either that or infatuation, I think yeah. both on MTV. Right uh, Now infatuation was cool because it had this dude on it that was playing guitar that I didn't know who it was, but he looked pretty cool. It turned out to be Jeff Beck, but I didn't know it at the time. But yeah, the, he, to me, he was always more of a pop guy than a rock guy. Yeah, And then so getting into these older records, you see, now, wait a minute, Rod, you, to me, you were kind of wasting yourself. I mean, I'm so, he was selling a lot of records and sure. being a huge star. But to me, the, the older stuff is definitely more pleasing to me than the 80s kind of pop stuff he was into. Hell yes, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. No. And I, I think Infatuation was the first time as a kid in the MTV era where I... I'm like, okay, here's this guy, Rod Stewart, and that's him doing this song, Infatuation, which was a pretty big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I do Hot Legs from the radio. Okay. Uh, you're in my heart from the radio. Maggie Mae, you know, from the radio, that kind of stuff. But then when we were in high school, and he had a huge hit with like a song that Jim Co. wrote, Forever Young, you know, great big hit. A kind of weird video. He's riding around in the back of a truck with somebody else's kid, and he's like holding them and stuff like that. Like, is that is that Rod's kid? Nope, nope, not here. So I'm like, oh, and what's oh. It? yeah, it's kind of weird, you know. Um, but you know, as brilliant as that song is for a 15 year old, you know, when that came out, like that's not cool, right? That's right. not Van Halen. That's not ACDC. That's not Def Leppard. That's not what I was looking. That's not what I was into at the time. So then I'm like, okay, well, he's kind of, he's soft. You know, he's adult contemporary. He's not a badass kind of thing. And then it wasn't until we were in college and I got the Beckology 
the Jeff Beck box set uh, and, you know, come to realize, hey, you know, Rod Stewart and Ron Wood were in the Jeff Beck group together uh, and they made right. some killer, killer, killer stuff. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, Rod, Rod Stewart does killer rock songs. I thought he just did that, you know, he did disco stuff. Look, Rod is popular with the ladies both on and off the stage, right? I mean, Correct. that's his shtick. It's kind of always been his shtick. You know, he goes from one model to the next uh, and always has, and I assume probably always will. And that's great that women love him. My problem was in 1988, what do women my age love? They like new kids on the block. Like, that's why we have new kids on the block is because of women. <laughs> and so, like, like, and then the next generation is, okay, well, you know, like my mom and their friends probably like this Rod Stewart stuff, you know. Right. I don't, it's not heavy enough for me. Yeah. So Rod was much maligned, at least to me. And then when I started to learn a little bit more about him, through Jeff Beck and through the faces. And then even the Unplugged record, which was big for him. It was, you know, multi-platinum record, had successful singles off of it, you know. And of course, even though Jeff Golub, who's an, a really great guitarist in his own right and has played with a lot of folks, and Jim Cregan were both there on stage, who gets all the credit for being on stage and playing right. guitar during that show, right? It's yeah. It's Ronnie Wood. And of course, at the time, I thought that was amazing because I couldn't have been a bigger Stones fan. And Ronnie was Correct. about to go back out and do Voodoo Lounge with the Stones, right? So at the time, I was excited about it. But now looking back, I'm like, man, Jim Cregan was there for all those things from like 78 on, you know, and he, mm-hmm. he co-wrote all, co-write all these songs were great. And then Ronnie comes in and kind of steals the <laughs> thunder, you know? <laughs> but I mean, to be honest, when that record came out, probably would not have even checked it out if ronnie had not been on that true yeah i mean that was my time in our lives yeah absolutely correct yeah Yeah. and i mean this was this was kind of before i knew like when i found that first faces record Mm -hmm. why did you not stick to this well you didn't stick to it because you found greater success doing the kind of the more adult contemporary stuff yeah and the so, disco stuff and, the, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't blame, look, looking back now, it's easy to, you know, say, okay, well, that's when he went disco and then he went pop and then he w- kind of went back to roots and da da da. It's easy to look back and kind of do all that. Now, when it's happening, you're just going forward and you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, right. how do I make something that's new? How do I make something that's going to be on the charts? What's out there now? Uh, and, and how do I fit in with that? And yeah, how do I stay relevant? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and in a time when punk was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Footloose and Fancy Free sold very well, man. It's awesome. And and I mean, even today, you know, he's he's still relevant, still selling out stuff because he he went back and did like the American standard catalog. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he continually reinvented himself to to keep him relevant uh even into I mean, what are we at 2022 now? I mean, he's still touring, he's still selling tickets out all over the world. So kudos to him. All those guys who started with him, who just kind of faded away to nothing. Yeah. If you want to talk, I mean, if you want to, if you didn't say anything else, you just said, what is the definition of a rock star? He, Rod Stewart's up there on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. He, you know, he still gets points off for some of that American storybook stuff. I mean, sure. now look, just because I don't like it doesn't mean other people don't like it. It sells very well. Like you said, it helps him sell tickets. It helps mm-hmm. him stay out there without having to. And it's hard to write new music. We talk about this on the show all the time because 
someone's going to say, well, that's not like the faces, but that's not hot legs. That's not Maggie Mae. Someone's going to say, no, because I'm 50 or I'm 60. I write <laughs> songs differently. I write about different things now, right? I right. can't just write about hot legs. Doesn't mean I don't like hot legs anymore. Just means that I have a Definitely. different perspective, you know? <laughs> Definitely still likes hot legs. You know that he does, you know? So <laughs> but he can't write hot legs too when he's 60, yeah. you know? So it, it's hard to do that and have it always compared to your older stuff. So then it's like, mm. all right, let's... Let's do some stuff that are already classics and I'll just rework them my way. You know, I mean, when he did Downtown Train, Tom Waits saw very different from the Tom Waits version. You know, that's really right. changing it, making it new, making it your own. So I give him a lot of credit. And I feel like that was almost like the beginning. Although, you know, we'll talk about it with Jim. I mean, on Footloose and Fancy Free, there were covers on there, sure. And, and Rod can mm. take something that's like a Motown song and make it more his own, something like that. But I feel like it was in that, you know, when he, when he realized he could take someone else's song like Tom Waits, totally change it around and then have a huge hit with it. And he's like, well, then I can probably do that with other songs too. And why do I work so hard to write these new ones when it would be just as easy to go do songs that I love? Right. And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, you've got to have, You've got to have X number of minutes on an album or you know CD. It's got to be at least forty-five minutes or longer. And yeah, if you're, eh, yeah, I could sit here and pound out another song that may be great and maybe not. Or yes, I could take something that I love from the past, rework it, get it in there, and help me move this along. And who knows, maybe even pick up some new fans along the way if you cover something. Like you wouldn't think he would do a Motown song, but then here he is doing, you know, "Keep Me Hanging On." Right. And I don't know, how would you describe his voice? It's kind of raspy. It's kind of down and dirty, yet it has a lot of power to it. And and it's one of, the, again, it's one of those voices where even if you weren't a huge fan, you hear him, you, you know, it's Rod Stewart. It's very distinctive. Automatic. It's it one is. of a kind. He, he doesn't have, it's not a, it's weird because it, you wouldn't think it's a great voice to sing, but it's, it is because it's no one sings like him. It's it's a it's a distinctive signature that he's got. Yeah, and even though it's it's got this cool, heavy, you know, raspy, bluesy sound to it. Listen to "You're in My Heart." Listen to "Forever Young." Mm -hmm. That that's not you know some down dirty blues singer. That's a real songwriter, real singer, like belting that out smoothly. Big hits, you know, that stand the test of time. It's not just because he's. He can go down and dirty and do some nasty <laughs> blues. It's because he can really sing, you know, so and, and apparently still can. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what from the from the clips that I've seen, because I was looking, doing research for this, you know, what, what's the latest stuff that he's done? It's he still sounds pretty good. Like, yeah, you're mm -hmm. not going to sing like you were when you were 25. You get that. I mean, he's got to be pushing. He's got to be in his 70s now, I would think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still impressive for somebody at that age to, to go out there and still do it. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock. <laughs> and you're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. Hi. Hello. Who's who? Uh, so I'm Mac. But I you can see, see it now. I can see your name yeah. down there. You're Gary. Hello, Gary. Yes, sir. Good morning. How you doing, guys? Doing all right. Very well, sir. Are you uh, are you just getting back from the U.S.? Yeah, I got back last night. Yeah, yeah. So okay. I'm a bit jet lagged. I can imagine. So we appreciate uh, you joining us. Oh, it's okay. A pleasure. Nice to see you. Can you hear me? All right. Is everything okay? Sound wise? Yep, you're coming through very, very well. Uh, thank you. Okay. Thank you kindly. Yeah. 
Uh, and thanks for having us on or coming on uh, to our show. You know, we are good friends with Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod, and the, he suggested uh, to uh, to to give you a call to see if you might come on because you've not only got great stories and an amazing career to talk about, but you've got this uh, interesting new uh, Christmas single out with your band uh, that we wanted to learn a little bit more about. Okay, do you want me to jump in on that now? Yeah, why don't we start with that? And then, look, most of our show is about reviewing classic albums that are having like a 40th, 50th, 45th, you know, anniversary or something like that. And so we kind of want to get into Footloose and Fancy Free since it was your first with Rod that's having a 45th year at the end of the year here. But let's before we get to that, and we've got a lot of fun questions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about Cregan and Co. Uh, and then this charity, not only the single itself, but the charity that benefits from it. Okay. So I'm involved in a charity called Angel Force USA, which is a, a, a suicide awareness program for the, particularly for the US military. And a, a very dear friend of mine, who's a family friend, a woman called Anne Dunsmore, started this charity some years back. She was in, in Britain on, on a kind of holiday, I think, and, and came to see my band, liked the band, and said, would we come over to America and play at a gala for the, for the charity? And we said, yeah, sure, of course, you know, but then immediately thought, no, that's never going to happen. You know, people come along and say, we'd like you sure. to do this or that. We, you know, you know being, having been in the business for a long Many years, I thought, this is probably a load of rubbish. But sure enough, you know, some tickets showed up and some hotel reserved. And so off we went and we played this charity and, and made uh, $300,000, which I thought was, was a good start. So I've been doing it ever since. That was probably about four years ago. And so last year, she said, because I'm now in sort of in charge of whatever music uh, that comes into this charity. The idea being that, that, that music is one of the ways to raise awareness. Just right. as there was a there were concerts for for AIDS and uh, all, all these other charities, the idea is that instead of suicide being something nobody ever talks about because it's such a horrible subject, right? We decided that we should use music to promote promote the idea that people need to talk to each other about people at risk. I mean, there's, there are plenty of people. The hardest thing is to get a, vet, a, a veteran to pick up the phone and call a hotline. They don't want to do that. They're warriors. They're trained to, 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 to keep it all inside. So we're kind of working on that. And, and we've got some great people in the band now, um, all sorts of people. I'll get into that in a minute. Meanwhile, she says, will you do a Christmas record? And I said, yeah, of course. So I used to sit down with some of the guys in the band, listen to about 50 or 60 Christmas songs mm-hmm. and don't like any of them. And I think, oh, no, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. So I'm familiar with that feeling, we, actually, to be honest with you. It's not that I don't like Christmas music, it's just I didn't want to do it. Yeah. So we came across this Johnny Mathis track called When a Child is Born, and I said, oh, that's perfect, let's do that. Then, of course, there's some talking in the middle of it. I thought, well, I don't know, I'm, you know, only Elvis can do talking in the middle of records. I can't. <laughs> And, I'm, and I don't really like it anyway. So I wrote a bridge to, to ah. go in the middle of it um, just to get away. Because it's only it's a one-trick song. There's only one bit, one melody, and it repeats over and over in various forms. So uh, the next thing is um, I send it off to her, and she says, oh, this is a beautiful recording. What is it? And I thought you could do a Christmas song. And I go, God, what? What? Now? <laughs> she says, this was never a hit here. It was like this Monty Python cheese sketch. I don't know if you remember that. Where he goes oh, to yeah. the cheese shop and says, uh, well, have you got any cheddar? 
He says, no. He says, but it's the most popular cheese in the world. Not round here, sir. That was the reaction to the song. Not round here, Jim. Uh So so fast forward to sometime in September, and I was browsing through my hard drive looking for something else. I bumped into this recording. I thought, we'll put it out ourselves. So I called them up in America and said, do you mind if we put this out? We'll credit you, and, of course, you'll benefit from it. But it will go out under the name of Cregan & Co. instead of the, the uh, Angel Force USA banner, which is gotcha. the band name. I thought, then I, I can glean a little bit maybe of name recognition that's always helpful, and the money will go to, uh, to Angel Force. So that's what we did. And suddenly people like it. I didn't realise, um, well, we got, some, we got a publicist, which is something that you, you really need to do if yeah. you're going to sell records. Or give records away, or whatever it is you do. Right. And and so now we're number thirty in the heritage chart, which is uh, which is quite amusing. So that's where we're at at the moment. I'm sorry, that's a very long winded reply. <laughs> Watch out for the Irish boy who you can't shut up. Right. That's me. <laughs> You've got, you've got one and a half of them on the other side of the uh, line here. here so <laughs> oh, we yeah, get it. Okay. Yeah. No, um, no, no, no we, we appreciate that. You know, I, I have members of my family who served in the military. Some of them ser- uh, suffer from P- PTSD. Uh, oh, yeah. And you're right. You're taught to be tough. I mean, even as a man who wasn't in the military, you're supposed to bury that stuff deep down, right? Yeah. Uh, let alone if you've actually seen some of these horrible things in war, come back to try to assimilate. It's not a broken arm. People can't say, oh, that, I'll fix that. Or you're missing it all. I'll get you something to help you get along because people can't see it. They don't know what to do. Plus in America. And I think it's better in Europe. I now live, I lived in London for three and a half years. I lived right down the street from Abbey road. Now I live in Amsterdam, but, and I feel like mental health is more of an open conversation in Europe way more than it is in America. I think you're probably right. I know that, that being part of this conversation with the veterans I mean, I just came back from the symposium in Palm Desert or Rancho Mirage, I think it was. And it was unbelievable. The people I was talking to, they had four gold star mothers. You, I guess you guys know what that is. This is mm-hmm. women who've lost their sons. Lost their sons. Or and, and some of them had lost their sons to suicide. Mm. And some of them had lost them to action. Well, these women got up and talked about what it felt like, and, and especially the girls whose sons had taken their own lives. And they said, you know, the military don't like to accept the fact that, well, the, the reason they want to take their own lives is because of the, the terrible things they've seen or the terrible things have been done to them. Of course. And so there's a, a kind of a catch-22. If you admit that your son committed suicide, then you don't get any benefits, right? right. So ugh, it's, it's, hey, it's a terrible mess. Our job, really, though, is to is to make is to, what we're doing now is really helpful. Talking about it, I don't know anybody over a certain age that hasn't been touched by suicide in in their in their lives. It's it's a rare occasion. And when we've had when we've had these discussions sitting around the dinner table, and somebody says, "So, you know, who do you know that happened?" Well, it could could turn out to be a nephew, a cousin. It could be a, a family member. It could be a great friend. I mean, I've I have those experiences. And, and some people will admit that they've had times when they were considering it themselves. You only need somebody to really reach out to you at the right moment, put their arm around you, talk to you and say, are you really feeling all right? Do you want to come over and have a pizza or do you want to go and have a beer or whatever it is that you need to do to make the connection stronger? Sometimes that's all it takes. And people right. that have been 
saved from committing suicide. I wrote a song about that called The One That Got Away. And the idea is that if you can save the person from that one time when they're really into it, they may never go back. Many people don't go back. They, they, they think, well, I went as far, I went to the very edge and looked over, and now my, I, I look around, I see my children, my grandchildren, my aunts, whatever, I see my friends. It's, um, anyway, I, I think you got the idea. I'll, I'm going to yeah. leave it at that. But it's Angel Force USA is the charity. Right. Well, I know in the in the United States, it's not a subject that people feel super comfortable about talking about, even no. though a lot of people have been touched by it. So it, thank you very much for, for bringing it out into the open and hopefully making it a little bit easier for people to talk about. Thanks. That's exactly it. You've hit it right on the, on the head. That's exactly it. That's the problem. And the reason that there aren't many people like Angel Force USA and aren't many charities taking care of this is because nobody wants the job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How to clear yeah. a room. Hi, hi, I'm just coming in to sit down with you and have dinner. Right, I'm just going to talk about suicide. Oh, bong. Kind of a bummer, yeah. Room. Yeah, you know. no doubt. Uh, well, I know people can download and stream it on Spotify. Can they buy it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's on Apple, yeah. Available. Apple, okay, very good. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's available, yeah. So go to iTunes and buy it there. All right, let's yeah. shift gears a little bit here and talk about maybe something a little more festive. You know, you were uh, well, you know, in the 70s, you worked with a lot of different people. You worked with different bands and you, mm-hmm. you knew John Wetton. We're going to have to come back to that, Jim. Oh, cool. Okay. Huge, huge John Wetton fans on the show. Come 77, you hook up with Rod Stewart, who, you know, had this career with several bands, including Jeff Beck Group Faces, created a cool sound. Well, not his first solo album. He had several before you got there. But by mm-hmm. the time you got to Footloose and Fancy Free, I don't know, it, it sounded like he had started to find his own sound maybe outside of the faces, maybe away from Jeff Beck, away from Ronnie. He's like, now I'm kind of finding my own thing. And obviously had a couple of huge, huge hits off that record. Mm. What, what, what do you remember? I mean, and besides you, some great heavy hitters are on there. Steve Cropper plays, Nicky Hopkins is all over it. And John May blows harp on the song you co-wrote, right? Born Loose. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you remember from those recording sessions? Well, I, I remember the, fir- the, 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 the if we start with where I got the job, I was the last man in. They got okay. the rest of the band, Phil Chen and Carmine, uh, John Jarvis, Gary Granger, Billy Peake. And Rod always wanted this three guitar lineup and they had actually started rehearsing. I was in L.A. I'd already met Rod to talk about getting, you know, playing in the band, but as, as you know, I was explaining about the and Dunsmore asking us to come to America. I had this great meeting with him with, in the pub. He showed me his favorite trick about going into the pub with a lot of people. It's just as you get to the threshold, you bend down and tie your shoelace, and everybody's in there. And so you're the last one in. So you don't have, you don't have to be the first one at the bar and buy around. Right. <laughs> Very rock star, Rod. <laughs> Now, he used to get a lot of fun out of that. It's not that he's not he's not mean. He's never been mean with me at all. He's very generous with me, you know. Uh, but but that was that was one of his games. So I have this meeting with him. We get on great, and I, he says, "Well, I'm going back to LA next week." This all takes place in London. I said, "Okay, well, you know, we'll be in touch." And I never heard anything from him for months. And then I um, I was married to a girl called Linda Lewis, who's a, mm-hmm. a singer, a lovely singer. In fact, she sang on "Do You Think I'm Sexy?" and and she was being produced by Cat Stevens, 
who we both knew quite well because we'd been on a Cat Stevens tour, world tour together. Okay. Uh, she was the guest artist and I was the band leader of her band. Um, gotcha. So uh, Steve, as we used to call him in those days, said, uh, Jim, you, will you come out and play guitar and come with Linda? And, you know, we'll be a bit of a laugh and everything. So I said, yeah, great. That'd be fine. So I get to L.A., uh, go in the studio, cut the tracks with a lot of really grown-up LA session heads. So I was absolutely in awe of scared shitless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were so good, and I was so you know I'm just some bloke from from the south of England, you know, fumbled his way into a few good bands. So I, I do my part, and everything seems to be all right. And then it's vocal time, so I got two days off. I wonder if um, I wonder if that bloke Rod still needs a guitar player so I phoned up he'd given me a number which I was happy to say wasn't the office it was his home and I spoke to Brit, Brit Eklund first who if you're old enough to remember what Brit Eklund used to look like in the 70s oh, and and the golden gun. I was, I, I was uh, you know over the moon to speak with her she's one of the most beautiful <laughs> women in the world I believe you and um I didn't really want to talk to Rod. I didn't want to keep on the phone with her. <laughs> she guessed Rod. <laughs> I said, are you still looking for a guitar player? He said, well, yeah. He said, why don't you come down this afternoon and play and see what happens? So I went down and played and saw what happened. He said, do you want to join the band? And I said, yeah, why not? That was actually my reply. Fantastic. <laughs> you were with him for more than 15 years. You played on some amazing... Oh, yeah, yeah 20, more like 20. On and off, though, I did take a break. I took a break um, when I fell out with the management. The so to, to get to the point you were making about Rod getting a sound of his own when he when he formed his own band because all the other solo records were done with session guys and he never toured those records. Uh, so this was a band he was going to tour with, and we were going to make the records and write the songs, which is exactly what we did. And he said he wanted a band vibe, and we should be. We should assume that that's what we were. We were the Rod Stewart Group. That was originally the name. And we were treated beautifully, absolutely beautifully. We got a share of the... We were shareholders of the, in the, the business. Wow. And, uh, you know, the concert receipts, we got we got a share of those. We, we, did, we weren't... Um, we were on session money for the recordings, very good okay. session money, but but the, the gigs, we got, a, we got a share of that. And it was it was great. I made loads of money, and had a wonderful time. And Rod encouraged us to write and, and encouraged us to have fun. And it was a wonderful time, absolutely brilliant. And that went on for on and off for about ten years. And then there was yeah. a fallout with the management, Billy Gaff, who who I heard was known to be, as we might say in Britain, light fingered. Ah, so, so, so that but that was the demise of them, and in came this chap Arnold Stiefel, who was a friend of Rod's then wife Alana Hamilton, and he was a showbiz kind of bloke. Uh, his family had had a, I think, had had a theatre or something. He might have been an agent for somebody quite successful like Barbara Streisand for a minute or two, something like that. Okay, he didn't know anything about rock and roll. He didn't know anything about making records. He didn't know anything about what we do and insisted that he would tell us or instruct us or expect us to do what he said. And I was so against all that. And he he just really got in the fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after he, he, you know, he sort of started throwing his weight around. I said, I can't have any more of this. So I went out to dinner with Rod and said, I'm sorry, mate. I've, I've got to go. And he said, oh, you know, 
we all still work together, but you know, if you've got to go, you've got to go. So that was that. And I went off yeah. to be a producer. Nice. But yeah, there was a great vibe, wonderful vibe. And that first record, what is it? I've got a wall for platinum records behind me, behind the camera here. Yeah, what do you have, 50 gold and platinum records yeah, today yeah, or I something crazy like away. that? <laughs> yeah, I give them away because, you know, it's a, sometimes I can't be bothered to go and get a birthday present, so I'll give them a platinum record. <laughs> All right, well, let me send you my address in Amsterdam. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're ever again. feeling like you want to get no, rid of one. Yeah, I've got a load of them. It's still in the garage. But, but you know, it's wonderful to get these these uh, awards. You feel really good after you after a certain number. That kind of you think. You know, uh, I shouldn't say that because it's very very hard to be successful. But when you are successful, it seems perfectly normal. That's what's so weird about it. You know? Right. It's, it's expected. Like, right. Pardon. Once you've done it, it's expected, right? Sort of. You know, it used to be really strange. We'd put a record out, we just expected it to be a hit. It wasn't any kind of... It's so weird how your mind will adjust to whatever it is, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate now much more how difficult it is to have hits than I did when we were making records. I, 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 I've i been on a few hit records over the years, you know, which That's is great. Sure. I'm thrilled to bits. This, I'm just, listen, here's the real truth about my career. I'm unbelievably lucky. That's the whole, that's the whole story there. I'm really lucky. I've been standing in the right place when, you know, as my friend said, uh, you know, it's like football. You've got to be standing in the right place when the ball gets crossed and you just <laughs> put your foot out and it goes in the net. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, and then, but then Lionel Messi is like the luckiest guy in the world, right? Because he's always there, ready. To <laughs> he's always there. in the right place. So there's well, a, there, the there's trick, some maybe. luck, right? Yeah. There's some yeah. luck in, involved, but then there's you know you've got your talent, your work ethic behind you to make it. When that luck comes around, when when the opportunity to be in that right place is there, you can take advantage of it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, it took me a long, long time to be able to take a compliment. Because most of the guys that I talk to, they will tell you that they have gaps, especially us self-taught guys. They will tell you they've got great gaps in their musical knowledge. And those gaps are the things that they're afraid somebody will call call them on, you know. So you don't know how to do this. Um, You should know how to do it because you're a professional musician. But, you know, we don't. I don't know how to do lots of stuff. But fortunately, I've got to the point where people only ask me to be me. They don't ask me to come in and be Steve Vai. Right. <laughs> There's absolutely no chance of me being Steve <laughs> or anybody else. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I probably right? could get you his phone number if I really asked a lot of people. <laughs> and there you go. Help yourself. That's great. Well, you know, one person's phone number who I, I desperately wish you could give us is John Wetton. Mm. We're just huge fans of his. We're big Asia fans. Mm. Um, you know, the stuff that he did with Steve Hackett over the years, like the Tokyo tapes, we just adore the stuff he did before he was in Asia, you know, King Crimson and everything going back. Actually, when I went to see Yes doing Close to the Edge at 50 at Royal Albert Hall, his, his wife, Lisa, sat right behind me, and it took everything in my power not to ruin her go by <laughs> just telling her how much I loved her husband and ask her a bunch of questions about him. So would you mind, I mean, could you tell us a little something about him personally? We know as a musician, his talent, but could you give us an anecdote or tell us something about him as a man? Well, I think the first thing you should know is that he used to babysit for my sister's kids in <laughs> Dorset, where we all really? Lived. Yeah. And he used to come around and play the piano. She had a really crappy old piano in the living room. <laughs> and I think he used to interfere with his girlfriend at, uh, at my sister's house while he was supposed to, while he and his girlfriend were supposed to be babysitting. So, 
<laughs> the kids are in bed, you know. What's he the was big a, deal? He was, upstairs, he was right? absolutely <laughs> such a sweet human being, really lovely man. And I remember one day I needed to get up to London. I think my car had broken down because we're from the same area. He was he was in Westbourne, which is a suburb of, of Bournemouth. And mm-hmm. I was in Christchurch, which is a suburb of Bournemouth too, on the other side. Okay. Um, we didn't go to school together because I'm a bit older than him. But I remember I needed to, to get a ride up to London. Uh, and he had a van. It was one of those vans that in those days you could have a van that didn't have any passenger seats. So I drove to London, <laughs> this really crappy old van, sitting on a, an orange crate, an orange <laughs> box or a beer crate, not, you know, on my, my bony ass. <laughs> imprinted on you have this wood imprinted on my ass for, for as long as it took in those days with no motorway so it probably took about five hours to drive to London I'll never forget because I really thought he could have put an armchair in there for me <laughs> <laughs> um, then I got him the job in family right which was so family was a really big act in England had hit records the Beatles were fans you know it was it was a, a, a kind of prog rock uh, sort of slightly jazz, you know, and the bass players had all done quite well. The, um, one of the previous bass players joined Blind Faith with Eric Clapton, Steve Winwood. Oh, wow. Uh, Rick Gretsch. Mm-hmm. Then it was uh, John Weeder, um, who went off to do Baroque music. And then there was, um, yeah, maybe, maybe it was John Weeder that uh, John Wetton replaced. So I was very friendly with these guys because uh, we had the same manager. And they said... Yeah. Um, you know anybody who plays bass? I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually, I do. I know a really, really good guy. He's a mate of mine. Known him for years. He's a lovely human being. He'll come and do the job. So he did the job. They loved him, as everybody does. I mean, you right. can't love John Will. He's talented. He sings great, plays great, really original thinker in his musical point of view. Um, so then he left because somebody had offered him loads more money. And, you know, we're all, we're all tarts, you know. We'll you know, right. offer enough money. we we'll do anything. <laughs> I won't do that. That's one. Of, I just won't do that bit. But the other things, yes. So, <laughs> John, so John went off, and I think he joined Uriah Heep, which was a strange call because I don't think he particularly liked that music. with loads of money. Off he went, and then family came back to me and said, "John Wetton's left." I said, "I know. I heard. That's terrible. Um, you're going to take his place." Oh, what are you talking about? I'm a guitar player. I don't yeah. even own a bass. I'm on the bass. <laughs> We've bought you one. What do you mean you bought me a bass? I don't want to do the job. No, we bought you a bass and you're going to be the bass player because it's your fault. It's all your fault. If you hadn't recommended him and we've taken, we've had it for two or three years and now he's gone and it's your fault. So I went, oh, what the hell? Okay, so, so I joined family, played bass for a couple of years, made one album with them. And funny enough, I got a phone call. From, when the band broke up, I got a phone call from Mick Ralphs. He said, I'm putting this band together. He said, we're looking for a bass player. And I said, no, nah, Mick, I'm sorry. No, I don't want to play bass anymore. I said, tell me more about it. He said, well, it's got Paul Rogers singing it. We're going to call it Bad Company. Right. And I said, no, no, Mick, Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. That I wonder what would have happened if, I'd been, if I, that had been me. It would be interesting to see. And fun. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's amazing. You had an amazing career. You've worked with some extraordinary musicians. You know, Carmine, Abbasi. He's got a show on the Pantheon Podcast Network, which we are a part of with Paul Stevenson. You know, he's an ex- right, yeah, extraordinary musician. Of course, his brother, too, Vinny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. no, it's, you work with it. It was an amazing band. Now, tell me this, though, because, you you know, you've been touring for a while. 
when you go out on tour with Rod Stewart, is the tour just, is it up enough? Are there things out there that you didn't see with some of the other bands? Is the party in a little more out of control? Are the ladies at a different level? Tell me something. Yeah, the, uh, the partying is, is um, a little bit more out of control, no doubt about that. Yeah, it's, well, several of the, <laughs> several of the bands I was in had behaved badly, but you're right, it was a slightly larger scale. Right. And you you start to become where you think you're invincible. And of course, you know, you're not because I got arrested in Florida and thrown in jail for night of being part of the band, the, you know, the splinter group of the band that trashed a hotel. Um, oh, yeah. And I still get stopped now, age 76. Every time I go into the United States of America, I get stopped and they said, so tell us about this uh, this thing, this uh, when you were arrested in Florida. And I go, that was 44 yeah, years In 1976? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and they pull me over and I go into secondary and I sit there with, you know, 30 other people and wait for my name to be called. And all, you know, my family don't bother coming to the airport to pick me up anymore because I could be there for an hour and a half. Right. <laughs> You know, and I keep saying to them, well, can't you just take my name? Oh, look, I'm 70, I've never been in trouble with the police since. I'm 76 years old. Give me a break. No, look, we, we went to college in Florida, okay? We, we know how the cops are in Florida, and it's amazing that we don't have rap sheets just from being college students uh, from yeah. the Gestapo tactics they like to use down there. So uh, use it as a badge of honor. Yeah, but but see, my problem is that I think to myself, like I hear these stories, I'm like, wow, what it would have been like to party with those guys back in the day. But I realize now I'd have just been dead. Like that's, <laughs> that's like your guys were on like a pro level. Like, hey man, what happened to Jackson? Well, he died. He's yeah. in the fetal position. We dropped him off. Now he did have a giant smile on his face when he died, but he just couldn't handle it. I love it. <laughs> he, that, that's uh, that is sort of true. Yeah, the partying was fairly grown up. And, the, and you know, when you've got quite a big band, like the first band wasn't that big. It was uh, three guitars, one, two, three, keys, four, bass, five, drums, six, six and rod. So it was a seven piece. But then okay. we added a brass section and a second keyboard player, uh, that sort of thing. Then you end up sort of forming into sort of slightly smaller groups, you know, because it's a bit unwieldy to go out for dinner with 11 guys, you know. So. Mm. So we'd break it down. We, that, didn't, that didn't mean to say we weren't all tight, because we were. We were very, the, the, there was a, the, the best band we had was uh, when we had Jay Davis on bass. Now, we, not that he was, because Phil Chen, God bless him, I loved him. He was, he was a fabulous bass player. But uh, the, the combination of Jay Davis and Tony Brock was a really good rhythm section. Oh. Carmine, Carmine and Phil could, could really play together great, but Carmine... Carmine has a style that really suits a sort of small group thing, you know, like Beck Bogart a piece, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They were fantastic. They were absolutely brilliant. But he's so flamboyant that if you actually want him to just sit down on the groove, it's very hard for him to do that because he just he automatically wants to, to play bigger, you know. So so Jay Davis and, and uh, Tony Brock and um, Kevin Savigar on keys, me and uh, Robin the Missourier on guitars and Jimmy Zavala on saxophone. That was a fun band. My God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. 
Let's tell about, I mean, let's not talk about that now because you'll only start to ask me about the sex police. And I well, was, yeah, see, that's, that was going to be my next question. Paul's like, don't let him go unless you ask him about the sex police. Okay. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. Yes. So let's get on that. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you've heard it said that, the, you know, it's the, the trouble always starts when you're bored. <laughs> right. So you end up in a, you end up in a town. Uh, for some reason, you couldn't stay downtown because all the hotels were full because they were having a, a chess contest or something. Right. <laughs> and so you're so you're slightly out in the boondocks. You get there after the show. It's uh, you, you know you're there about eleven o'clock. There's no place to go. The bar's closing. Whatever. And then you then the trouble starts because you just mm-hmm. want to. You just need to do something with off steam. The sex police was a very sensible idea. It was. That those people that weren't having sex with uh, anybody that came uh, across their radar, their job was to stop whoever was thinking of having sex from having it. That was it was very straightforward. So, <laughs> so that included the the sex police knock on the door, which was very loud and a shout of "sex police." And if you didn't jump out of bed, no matter what condition you were, or no matter who you were with, and open the door in about five seconds, the door came in. Because the sex Ooh, police wow. just they'd boot the door right off the hinges and go whack like that, and in would pile the sex police. And but you know, if there was a if you had a girl with you, she'd be terrified. Don't blame her, and she'd hide herself in the bathroom. And the police would just throw the beds up in the air and chuck <laughs> things out the windows and do all sorts of stuff and trash your room. And right. of course, the thing was. You had to pay for it because the reasoning, just a bit like the John Wetton and me getting the job, it was your fault because you didn't open the door in time. <laughs> <laughs> so not only was your room trash, you got it hung with the bill also. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely so. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and if, you just, if you called up the reception and said, I don't know what's happened, but my room seems to be slightly disheveled. Mm-hmm. I'd like another room. Uh, you'd have to pay for that as well. And you might, even if you got caught moving into another room and not taking your punishment like a man, you would then have the sex police would revisit you the next day and maybe another couple of times as well. (laughs) And everybody that was in the sex police, which was pretty well everybody in the band and some of the crew, and the makeup lady was in the sex police, but we had spies, you know, so she didn't, she wouldn't, nobody knew she was the sex police apart from the small inner circle of the, the officers of the sex police, which were uh, me and <laughs> Rod and, uh, and Robin the Missourier and um, who else? And one other person. Oh, Kev, Kevin Savigar. But we would plot against each other. The great thing was the plotting against each other. So <laughs> sure. I would pretend that I didn't know anything about what was about to happen to my pal next door. But I'd mm-hmm. schemed this whole thing of what I was going to do to him, get all the other guys in on it. And then he, because he, he would think, you know, nobody, I can't do that. I'm, you know, an officer in the sex police. I think I was, <laughs> I think I was Seaman Staines, I think I was, and one of his <laughs> major bucks. And, there you go. And just the usual stuff, you know. Yeah. We, had, we, we, had, we had uniforms, we had walkie-talkies, we had uh, toolkits, you know, to dismantle things. You'd take your bed apart in about 30 seconds. And, you know, wild stuff. It was really good fun, really good fun. And that's all. That, that was the main reason for having it. I mean, one night, so so the the bass player. We had a new bass player at some point called Charlie Harrison, nice guy. And the the sex police visited him a couple of times and, and trashed his room and stuff like that. And and he 
didn't have anywhere to sleep, you know, because his bed was, oh, the bed was, put everything in the bathroom and the last thing he goes in is the mattress, doubled over and it springs back against the door. And unless you can find three friends who are strong enough to push the door open so you can get inside and rejig the mattress, you you have no mattress to sleep on the floor. <laughs> so, so Rod said to him, uh, he said, uh, Charlie, you're looking a bit tired. He said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, I'm sorry, mate, I am a bit worn out. The, uh, the sex policeman paid me a couple of visits recently and Rod said, oh, that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear that. Of course, he knew all about it. Um, <laughs> he said, would you like to, I'm going back to, to England. We were in Ireland at the time. I'm going back to England. Why, why, here's, I'll give you a key. Have a key to my suite and use my suite. Okay. So he said, he said very nice. Oh, great. So then the sex police heard about this because, you know, we've got spies everywhere. <laughs> and and so we, we cornered Rod later and we said, you're interfering with sex police work here. What are you doing? How dare you interfere? You can't give Charlie a bed. We've been deliberately getting rid of Charlie's beds for the last few days. And then you come and offer him a, a bit of solace and a place to lay his weary head. I mean, this you, you're not going to get away with this. And so he said, no, I suppose not. So we left it and we left it and we left it. And then there was the time where we thought, now we'll strike. So we got Charlie, took all his clothes off, apart from his paisley underpants. Nice. Um, <laughs> Gaffer taped him face down onto Rod's bed, <laughs> with you know with his feet spread, his arms out like this, and his feet like that. So, and and um, and left him, and then um, and Rod came back to his suite uh, with a young lovely, and walked into the bedroom. <laughs> there was this almost uh, naked man face down. But <laughs> Rod turned and he went, "Oh, hello, Charlie." Um, <laughs> What? what are you doing there, little Charlie? Oh, the sex police. Oh, well, okay. Well, I'll see you later. Didn't let him go or anything. Just, just <laughs> had another room in the suite, carried on. And I think somebody later on let Charlie go. But I would have loved to have been there when when, when he walked in and saw this naked man. Strip. <laughs> Fantastic. What would the girl have thought? Poor thing. We've probably well, put lots, lots of these these very nice young women into deep therapy for years. <laughs> well, yeah, not enough for her to leave, right? It's not like she's like, oh, this is crazy. I'm out of here. It's like, okay, I'll just go with Rod into the other room. Yeah, sweet. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's a two-bedroom suite. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. That's yeah, rock and roll, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the sort of – it was great fun. That was the sort of stuff we would do. And it, and it, I I know it's stopped now because um, it's, a, it's, it's a completely different vibe. Um, I know they're having a good time out there because I went to see them the other day. They're having a great time, but everybody's a bit more grown up. And now there's um, four or five uh, lovely women are part of the band and singers mm -hmm. and fiddle players and mandolin players and harpists. And, and they're great. They're, they're great. They're a great crowd. Uh, but you can't, you know, you've got to grow up at some point. Mm. Yeah. What time's it well. now? Unfortunately. <laughs> it can't be time yet. Yeah. Come on. I'm going up at half past two. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, no, no. We, we really appreciate your time here, Jim. And it's a great thing that you're doing to help veterans and, and help Thank you. talk about suicide. You know, we appreciate that very much. Real quickly, you know, you kind of came into our world when you were in college. The Unplugged album was very big for Rob, you know, I mean, big singles yeah. and stuff like that. And, and then it's the first time we saw you, okay. at least who we kind of knew who you were, or, you know, could, could know who you were. Mm -hmm. 
And it, but the thing is, you're like, you're on there. You're a fantastic guitar player. Jeff Golub's on there with you. He's a oh, great guitar player. Wonderful. And then this other guy shows up, this former bass player converted into a guitar player. And he kind of steals the show. I'm like, what the hell? Now, at the time, we were huge Stones fans. And so we thought, this is great. But looking back now, I'm like, he just took Jim Spock, man. What the <laughs> Ronnie? Like, you don't have enough else to do. What the hell? You know? Hey, it was a special I love, moment. I absolutely love Ronnie. He's a wonderful bloke. I love him. So anytime, you know. And he, he so so this the unplugged thing, right? Once we got the word it was going to happen, and I was I had I'd moved on at this point. I was um, I was producing records and uh, I was a staff writer for Universal, which you know was lovely. Mm. They pay me large amounts of money every year to write songs. Foolish people. <laughs> um, and um, God bless him. And so I came. So I, I came back for the unplugged recording. I didn't know I was going to go on the road until after it was selling so well that, that we said uh, we might as well go out and take this around the country. Yeah. So Ronnie shows up the first day of rehearsal, which is just in some sort of I don't know big empty room. It was it was it was nothing. It wasn't a, a, a studioy kind of thing. It just it was just a big room. Okay. Big empty room, and and he backs his. He's got a, a Ford Bronco, and he backs it up to the the doors. And uh, this is like you know two o'clock in the afternoon. And he comes in, he says hello to everybody. And I've known Ronnie for years and years. And he says, um, "Anybody thirsty? Anybody a tiny bit thirsty?" And I went, "I could be thirsty. I might be. I could. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's say I'm Gary. You thirsty? No, it wasn't Gary. It was uh, Robin. Robin, you thirsty? Always thirsty," says Robin. Okay, come this way. So he he opened the doors and he's lifted up the tailgate of the Bronco and pulled down the bottom bit. And there's an enormous cooler in there that's as wide as the car. I don't know if it's specially fitted into it, but he lifts it up and there's every kind of conceivable thing you could want to drink in the back of the car. (laughs) We said, welcome, Ronnie. Yes. (laughs) We well, came prepared. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how it did. We never ran the end. Okay, so we had three weeks of rehearsal. We never ran the whole show all the way through, <laughs> even once. I mean, that's how crap we are. <laughs> so we'd play a couple of tunes and we'd have a drink and a break. And then we'd play another couple. And we'd start at two. And by half past three, we'd go, should we go down to the pub? Yeah. <laughs> we'd go down to the pub. And that would be it for the day. So you know, we had, we did a lot of tunes. We must have done I don't know twenty odd tunes, but mm-hmm. never, didn't do the didn't do the whole thing in one go. So that made it kind of exciting when we actually had to do it all back to back. It was great fun. It was very exciting to do because it was really live. I mean, there was no mucking about. It was live. So it seemed that way. I mean, it came through right. that way. No, yeah. it was live. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Really live. and it, it was a joy. And then we took it on the road, and that was um, that was the last tour I did with Rod. I was in, it was 1993-94, I right. still remember. And uh, then after that, I just, uh, we, I would sometimes, I, I played with him at a big event here in London, live in Hyde Park. I played, I got up and played, I was only joking, which I, in which there's a quite long guitar solo that I, that I played back in the day. And that was the last major appearance I made with him. And then, you know, then we just hang out, you know. We've played... Um, Charity gigs. We we did one a couple of years back with Ronnie and Kenny Jones oh, yeah. and guys out of my band. 
and my son and I, and we all, we all played, uh, uh, I don't know, we played for about 45 minutes or an hour or something. That was fun. It was, you know, quite expensive. We raised a bunch of money. It was oh, That was the night that he announced that he'd had prostate cancer. He kept very quiet about it. Okay, so we all the oh, wow. four, four of the people there, myself, Ronnie, Kenny, and Rod, had all had prostate cancer. And wow, that's a lot. Yeah, a lot. And we so this was a charity. We raised a bunch of money. Uh, it was quite expensive. It's, the seat it was you know probably about you know, eight hundred dollars a plate. You know, a plate sure. Yeah, a plate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was no you know no freebies. Everybody had to pay. It was good though. We, we right good time. Lots of fun. <laughs> Excellent. What do you expect? What do you expect you put a bunch of the guys like us together? It's always going to be fun. Well, look, it just looked like you guys were having fun. I mean, you see the hot legs video, you see any of the videos that you did over the years, you know, it's like whether you like the music or not, look at them. They're enjoying doing this together. You know, maybe this is not your favorite song or this is not your cup of tea or you love this one, whatever. You know, Forever Young was a huge hit for you. When I was 15 and I was into... Def Leppard and Bon Jovi and you know ACDC. That was like, yeah, that's adult contemporary. That's not for me. But now as a, I come back as an older person, I'm like, well, that's a brilliant song. Yeah, that's a wonderful song, right? That you yeah. you co-wrote, you know, and and so it 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 kind of just it, you guys are always having fun. That's what matters. That's what's going to come through in the music, and that's why some of these songs survive as long as they have. Quite frankly, uh, yeah, I, I'm always of the impression that the vibe that you make in the studio somehow gets on the tape. I don't know how it is, but it seems to. It seems some sort of kind of magic. We were always having a good time making records. I I made a decision a long time ago uh, that I was not going to be in bands or do jobs that I didn't where I didn't like the people. I just wouldn't do it. I mean, hence me leaving the Stewart band, not because I didn't want to be in the band. I didn't want to work with Arnold Stiefel. Right. No, I just I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. Um, Life's too short. Yeah, exactly. Far too yeah. short. And and, and all, I mean, the guys in my band, we get on like a house on fire. The, the piss taking that goes on is dreadful. <laughs> you know, and we, we're, we're supposed to be, well, no, not supposed to be, we're going to play at Rod's Christmas party um, on Friday, this coming Friday. We're just talking about repertoire to the guys about what songs we're going to do. And we're going to do some of the songs that I co-wrote with him. Sure. And, uh, and one of the things that will probably get said is we're going to do this song now. And Rod, Rod, no, no, you're not coming up to sing. No, you can't sing in this key. You know that. <laughs> I've got a much younger singer, my friend Ben Mills, who can sing in this key. Not you. You go back. We've still got your wheelchair parked here for to get you down to the hospital later <laughs> if you strain yourself. It's going to be all that. It's going to be loads of really rotten, piss-taking jokes. Yeah. Nice. Now you said this is Rod. Is this like his personal Christmas party, like at his yeah. house? Yes, yeah, his house. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I've been, you know, I go every year, and um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, Ronnie, hopefully, Ronnie will be there, and Kenny, and um, it's interesting that one of the things I, I I really like about Rod is that he has a he's not one of those celebrities that only wants to hang out with other celebrities. He'll have his football team there. I mean, I went to a funeral for his his, his brother, uh, Don, uh, died um, maybe two months ago, maybe a bit more. Not long ago, yeah. No, and his, and his second brother died. Both his brothers Two died. Guys. Yeah, that's crazy. Terrible. I mean, I haven't, I, I haven't spoken much to him when I was, we've been texting a bit. Uh, but at the funeral for his bro- his first brother, Donny, there was the the, fo- the football team was there. 
the Highgate football team, all these amateur players, they all came. A couple of, uh, I think I was the only uh, other musician there. And it's all people from all walks of life. He's, he's, he's very eclectic in his choice of pals. He's got people that, you know, uh, are garden designers. You know, he's got people that, that uh, the school teachers. There's, he, he doesn't feel the need to surround himself with other rock stars in order to make himself look important. I think, like a lot of us, he saw what that was like in L.A. when Alana, his, um, his wife at the time, yeah. who, was, who was very busy being an A-list hostess. Oh. Right? And one of the things, we went to this big celebrity party that Rod and I went, and I only went because I was giving him a lift home because I don't know what had happened to his Lamborghini, but he either had too much Bacardi and didn't want to drive it. And I was sober enough to drive him to his house. He said, well, let's go in. And the wife's having a party, I know. This was about one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and there was a w- w- wild party in, in, in progress. And the only thing, and this is, I realised this at the time, the only thing that his wife and I had in common or have ever had in common is we were the only two people in that room that weren't household names. Everybody else was unbearably fabulous. And she, but she always thought of the band as the staff. You know, we were staff. You know, oh, right, you're the help, really, right? Yeah. Really <laughs> fucking annoying. You know, why don't you hang out with me and my friend, whatever it is, you know, Cher or, uh, you know. Um, and and not to, I'm not denigrating any of the people she had as friends. But the, not all celebrities are interesting. I mean, that's the bad news. They, uh, some of the actors are very nice, but terribly dull. Mm. You know, you give them a script, they're wonderful. No script, not much happening. And same with uh, some of the other people that were there. So the But they're pretty, right? Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, they're nice, you know, they're all right. <laughs> I mean, I'm a dancer. They're fun to look at sometimes, yeah. Oh, they're very fun. Some of them are very fun to look at. <laughs> yes, yes. That's kind of what Hollywood's all about. Yeah, lots of all, that. Yes. Yeah. That'll make you happy. It sounds like Rod wants to hang around with people who will tell him to go back and sit in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Oh, he's and, and, brutal with me. I mean, he's always terrible piss-taking with me. But as long as he can, as long as he can take it as well as he gives it, then that's oh, all yeah. you're looking for. Oh yeah, he's he's all right with that. Absolutely, <laughs> this is not a one-sided thing. No, no. <laughs> but Kevin Savagar once said to me after I'd made some unbearably rude remark, he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jim Cregan, the man that knows how to walk the thin line between humour and unemployment." <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Kevin. Uh, that's brilliant. Uh, well, Jim, we can't thank you enough. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, great. I've loved it. Yeah, you are welcome back anytime on the show. Anytime you ever have anything to plug. If you're ever coming to the Netherlands, you got to let me know so I can come see you and you guys play. This is, you're out of Holland, you guys, are you? Well, Jackson's on the east coast of America, but I'm I'm in Amsterdam now. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lovely. I love Amsterdam. It's a great town. Had a lot of fun there. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank By the you. way, Born Loose, our favorite song on Footloose and Fancy. Oh, Free. yeah. Gone down. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's got that cool double guitar. It's got some sexy blues oh, yeah, in there, yeah, man. Yeah, it's yeah. it's good stuff, man. It's more faces than anything he'd done since the faces. Yeah, yeah one of my favorites from, uh, and I'm not sure it's on that album, is Only a Boy. Do you know that song? I don't it's think a, I do. It's a really, uh, I think it's on that album. 
It's it's not on that one. No, it's not on this one. It's okay. Not on Footloose. Must be on the next one. It's got well, a voice. And it starts off with uh, sort of this voice going, "Get down off the school roof, laddie." <laughs> Come on, Stuart. No running in the corridors. It's all that sort of stuff. It's, a, it's about what it was like at school. It's, it's lovely. It opens up with uh, this line, uh, uh, Stuart boy, you'll never be much because you're too busy acting the fool. Mm-hmm. And thank you, sir, for those few kind words on my last day of school. My mother said I could be a, mis- a success if it would only get myself out of bed. Words of wisdom, but I wasn't listening. <laughs> I had plans in my head. It's good stuff. That was on uh, Tonight I'm Yours from 1981, which had the big the big song, I think, was Young Turks off of that record. Oh, okay. But, All right. Okay. But you wrote, uh, you co-wrote Only a Boy with uh, Kevin and, and Rod on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really good lyric. It's, you know, he was less likely to follow any kind of format because each chorus has got, has got a different lyric. So there's only the only a boy shows up, which is obviously the title line that shows up. But each verse, sorry, there's all obviously the four verses are all different, but the chorus are all different too. Now that's that's pushing your luck because the, you know you're supposed to write or you hammer it home, you know all that kind of crap. And well, I've got one last thing I'd like to mention to you about songwriting. I wrote this song that eventually Rod recorded. It's a song I wrote with uh, Steve Harley. It's called um, Best Years of My Life, I think it's called. Is that it? I can't remember. But uh, but it hasn't got a chorus, okay? No chorus. No, no chorus. It's uh, it's pretty well a verse and a bridge. And the verse is, the verse is the chorus, or the chorus is the verse, whichever you like to do it. So, so I remember I went, I took it to, to my publisher in, in, in California. I was living there at the time, and I, I gave it to this woman. I played it to her, and she said, oh, it's so beautiful. It's lovely. I really like it. I'm going to send it off now to the, the, the guys in Nashville, because there's more people in Nashville looking for songs, because there are more artists and there are sure. writers. So I went, okay. So, so we sat there, and she got the guy on the phone, and he listened to it, and uh, and he said after he said, "Well, said so, yeah, says yeah, that's a nice song, said, but it hasn't got a chorus." And I went, "Hmm." I said, "So, uh, you know, uh, Wayne, whatever your name is, so uh, uh, Wayne, uh, just take a minute and sing me the chorus of Maggie May. Would you just give me the chorus of Maggie May again? I can't think how it goes. Hmm. Well, there isn't one, is there? Oh, there isn't a chorus, is there? Well, funny that." <laughs> and so we said goodbye. It's still a <laughs> huge hit and an iconic song for Rod the Bond. Yes. For Rod so the there Bond. we go. No worries. Yes. Thank you kindly. Happy yeah. Christmas and tell Thank Rod you. and the crew we said hello. I will. I will. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye bye now. Thanks. All Thank you, Jim. Happy Christmas. That was fun and talking to you. Thank you. Bye bye. Hi, this is Jim Cregan, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. And they're just the best. What a fun guy, huh? Well, I mean, you I knew you were going to be right, but you were right. We could have talked to him for another three hours. Easily. I mean, we, we just scratched the surface of a few things that Correct. we know in life, you know. Right. Hey, great stories, you know. And honestly, I have a better appreciation for Rod Stewart now after speaking with him for 40 minutes, you know. And, and yeah, especially like, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really know anything about Rod, like in his personal life. But the fact that he still hangs around with like different people shows you mm-hmm. like he's he's a dude that wants to have actual friends 
not not people who just you know yes men somebody who will tell him oh, those shut phony up, la know. people who yeah, are all plastic right. and fake yeah. you know yeah i mean because right. he did that for a while like it, it looks great from mm-hmm. a distance oh wouldn't you like to be in hollywood with models and actresses and all these studio people oh it'd be amazing they need to know them and like this is no way to live this is not a community right. these are a bunch yeah. of assholes you know? or, or like jim said like yeah like you look good and you sound good when you've got a script in your hand but like hey what's going on mm. nothing yeah exactly <laughs> it's hot, kind of hot today shut up yeah you want you want somebody who actually will will be a real person with you so yeah that's great and I'll tell you what, I I didn't get my invite this year, but I got to get invited to the Rod Stewart Christmas party. <laughs> oh, that sounds yeah, so Man, cool. I'll come back to England for that. You know, I'll Heck, catch the train yeah. and get back over there, man. Problem. <laughs> we'll be on the next flight over there. And the, thing, and the thing about Ronnie Wood back in the truck up full of beer or whatever he had in <laughs> there, that's awesome. <laughs> Great story, man. And yeah, the, the whole awesome. thing, yeah, the whole thing, you thirsty? I could be thirsty. Could be thirsty. You get something to drink? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's show number 108 with Jim Cregan, a fantastic guitar player and songwriter who has an amazing career, more than 50 golden platinum discs. And we hear, you heard him talk a little bit about his time with Rod Stewart through the years working on some amazing songs, some amazing records, some fun tours, and dodging the sex police. Boy, what an amazing, fun time that must have been. He's the reason we do this show, is to meet interesting folks like him that maybe not everyone knows about, but has had a legendary career, has some great stories to tell, and is doing things for a good cause. His charity single, A Child Is Born, which is a Johnny Mathis song that he reworked and, and added a a bridge to or added some lyrics to all to help raise awareness for soldiers that may be uh, dealing with suicide. If you want to learn more about that? You can go to Angel Force USA or you can go to Spotify or iTunes to stream or to download that song. And why not download it? Uh, all proceeds go to a very good cause and, and support uh, the folks who have done so much to support us, especially in the United States. So, with that, folks, as usual, we ask that we get something right, do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point that we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can tweet or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. Let us know the albums, the bands, the concerts, the DVDs, the movies, the rock properties that you want to hear our take on. We're starting to line up everything for 2023 right now. So go ahead and let us know. It's uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. We thank our friends at Pantheon Pods for making this happen. Special thanks to Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod, who connected us uh, with Jim's publicist, Mike. We got us in touch with him. A lot of fun interview and conversation we had with him today. And we definitely want to thank our amazing sponsors, RareVinyl.com. I know it's late in the game, and if you're in America, it might be too late. If you're in continental Europe, it might be too late. But if you're in the UK and you're still looking for that gift or that special someone for the holidays, go to rarevinyl.com. Use code podcast and save 10% off all of your orders. And with that, folks, next week will be our final show of 2022. I think we're going to do a a nice long look at all the fun stuff that we got to do this year, all the many fun guests that we had on, the albums we reviewed, the shows we got to attend, both together and apart and reviewed on the show 
the fantastic artists that we had on the show. It was a special, special year for us. We appreciate you listening. You download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Please consider giving us a positive review wherever it might be. iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods has been very good to us. Please consider it. It would be the best holiday present you could possibly give me and Jackson is a good, positive, big five-star review that just helps us find more rock fans like you around the globe. So until next time, rock and rollers, to all of you all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.